great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... What is up, Bills Mafia? A little afternoon edition of Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast. He's Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. We had to get you a, a, a little something. Wet the appetite for Friday night's big show live at Wingnuts, June 23rd, 8 p.m. Get there a little early. We'll be kind of hanging out, talking Bills, eating wings, drinking beers. It is a great time. If you follow either Ryan at or I on any social media platform, you've seen um, the advertisements for the event. 700 Military Road in North Buffalo, Wing Nuts inside Froth Brewing Company. Ryan, it is going to be an absolute blast. I cannot wait. The patio's open. It is going to be a beautiful night. Yeah, always great time at Wing Nuts. Now that the weather's changing, though, the patio, you get the, the garage door, so to speak, opening up. Uh, so, you know, we're usually packed at these events, Matt, shoulder to shoulder, uh, large crowds. It's going to be nice and cool in there now because of the way they can open things up. I cannot wait for Friday night. They are lar- large crowds, but what we try to really do is just hang out, you know, move table to table, um, come up to us. Like if you do come out to this event, we want to talk to you about all things bills that you want to, um, get into, uh, also get an inside scoop. We got a big change coming to our coverage next month an exciting one we'll give you the inside scoop if you come out to uh wing nuts we'll talk it over get your thoughts maybe get your input on how you want this thing to roll out it's going to be super exciting i kind of teased this last week in our episode that i wanted to get into a Kyrie elam topic and because of the loyal listeners that we have um caleb over on twitter reached out to me and said don't forget your elam side topic for tomorrow's show And let me just say, it's going to be pretty much our whole show because what I want to talk about are what we think are the top position battles that are going to be waged next month, starting in training camp. And I think where I want to start is that cornerback to battle opposite Tredavious White. And it's it's so interesting because I had this idea last week as I was watching minicamp and then I went on uh, Sal Capaccio's podcast with John Scott last week and he asked me, like, what is my big takeaway from minicamp outside of the Stefan Diggs stuff. And the only thing that came to mind was I really wish personally, this is my opinion, the bills wouldn't have re-signed Dane Jackson. Mm. And I think when you first hear that, you're probably like, wait, what? This is good competition. This is a, a veteran. This is a guy that has played important snaps. I personally love Dane Jackson. I love all my interactions with him. I think he's a really good player. Like if you have to get him into the lineup, I think he's a reliable player. But what I think it's done is it's allowed the Bills to kind of coordinate this battle. And they were going to coordinate it anyway. I mean, as Brandon Bean said, you always want guys to earn their reps, earn their job. But I just, I can't help but think with Dane Jackson on the roster, with Christian Benford ascending, this continues to put Kyrie Elam in this perceived or real doghouse that, I don't know, I, I want to talk about where you think he is positioned right now in this battle and where it projects once we get to training camp. And we'll get into a, a little bit more of this here. 
Yeah, you know, I hate to say it, but I almost feel like it, everyone's starting at the same spot, and you would think that a former first-round pick would have a leg up on the competition in terms of we want to get this guy on the field. I feel like Sean McDermott is going to play it safe at that position because he wants to be aggressive elsewhere, whether that's up front, whether that's using blitzing with his linebackers. And if you're going to do that, you can't be getting burned on the back end. And and I'm not sitting sitting here saying that's, what's going to happen with Kyrie Elam, but he puts a lot of stock into how these players practice throughout the week in terms of getting them onto the field for better or worse. And, and listen, you know, you need to practice, you need to be there, you need to do your job. Uh, but you also want to develop these young players and Kyrie Elam's a former first round pick for this regime. So you want to get him on the field. You want to get him those reps, let him learn from his mistakes on the fly. Whereas in, if, if he makes a mistake on the field at practice, that might count against him come uh, come game time. And you mentioned Dane Jackson. Dane Jackson is Mr. Reliable. We have both compared him to being the new Levi Wallace. He's not going to necessarily break up every throw that comes his way. He's not going to get these great jumps on the ball, maybe intercepted, but he's going to keep the play in front of him. He's going to be a sure tackler. Uh, he's not going to let that team beat you for a 40, 50 yard gain. And, in McDermott's world, that's probably been great because opposite him, when you have a healthy Trey White, you know what you're getting in that end of it. You have a great safety trio this year, and you could even argue even deeper than that. So you're strong in all these positions, and you want to just make sure you're not getting beaten out at that opposite cornerback spot. So going into camp, in my opinion, Matt, it's it's truly neck and neck and neck between Kyrie Elam, between Christian Benford, uh, a second-year player who has a lot of his own experience from his college days, and then obviously last year, and then Dane Jackson, who you know exactly what you're getting for better or worse. You said it right there, Ryan. All this experience that Benford has from his college days. How's Kyrie Elam going to get this experience if he's not on the field? Like, I philosophically, I... I struggle to understand the disconnect between the talent evaluators, the drafters, Brandon Bean and his team, and the coaching staff as they're working with this guy. Like my sense is just from being around, you know, a lot of people within the organization, listening to them talk about, you know, Kyer Elam over the course of the last year, it's just like they're waiting for something from him. But it's just like, I don't understand how, like, if you're starting something from scratch, right? Like if you, if you're really good at i'm a journalism uh instructor at ub right so like maybe you're really good at english all through high school right you write you wrote great term papers you have great sentence agreement like you know you, you know how to write right but then you come into college and you say hey i want to write for a newspaper and there's a completely different style it's you have to use ap style you have to be much more succinct you have to be much more you know you have to get to the point a lot quicker as opposed to term paper writing where you want to write kind of like for that number count, right? It's yep. completely different game that we're playing. And so the only way I tell my students they can get better at doing journalism and writing in this form is to do it constantly, read it and then do it, write it and do it over and over again. And I just think that practice is valuable, but I think higher Elam needs to be on the field. I wouldn't be opposed to them just giving him the job, letting him have all of those reps and seeing how it progresses. If you're that confident in Benford and Jackson, why, who's to say that six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks into the season, you can't turn it over to them if Elam isn't giving you what you need. And I, I just think that there are valuable learning experiences. 
good moments and bad moments that he'll have that you're 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 potentially you know taking away from him if you don't just let him have that runway to learn yeah you need live reps and live reps and practice are one thing but the more and more you go against your own teammates, the more you pick up on their tendencies and what they do. And that's not the same as going against a completely different player that you watch on film for the week that you prepare for. He needs those live reps in game to get better. And, and I'm hoping that because of the his draft status that they're going to give him those opportunities because you said it so well. You can always go back to Dane Jackson. You can always go to Christian Benford, another young player that you want to get more live reps in this system if need be. But you drafted Elam in the first round. You traded up a few spots to go and get him. Uh, it, it's sending a bad message to your fan base, uh, to this player, if you're not letting him get those live reps. And it worries me a little bit if Elam isn't slotted in at that cornerback two spot by the end of the summer because you have young players that you want to get in at middle linebacker. You have a young player that you drafted in the second round to compete for a guard spot. Are you going to let them go and try to win those spots and get those live reps in-game? Are you going to go with the status quo and give it to those veterans that you have on your roster? Because there's veteran options at linebacker. There are veteran options on off the offensive line. There are veteran options everywhere on this team. But you have to draft and develop these players. And I feel like the development part has been lacking a little bit the last few seasons. And maybe they're, you know, we're not seeing the plan. Maybe the plan is, you know, they believe in his ability to withstand this competition and being placed in certain spots and, you know, maybe not being handed the job. Like he he's built to, to deal with that. And that's something that we can't project or really know because we're not in the meeting rooms. One thing that like stuck out to me that Brandon Bean said, and I, I don't know if we mentioned it on this podcast, I've said it multiple times about Elam when asked about him, he's like, I wish I could sit here and tell you that he doesn't practice well because he does, he practices well. And it's like, I, and I'm paraphrasing there obviously, but it's almost like, it, why, why do you wish you could say something like, you know, it, there, there obviously are problems around how you either view him as an organization at this point or with how, you know, the, the lack of, you know, meeting of the vision for the player when you drafted him versus how you were going to deploy him and implement him as a player on the other side. And I get liking guys. And listen, I talked about this on Gene, uh, Gene and uh, Mike show yeah, uh, on Tuesday. Uh, about the kind of players that Sean McDermott traditionally like likes. I mean, go back to Josh Norman, right? Like this, I, I can't remember if he was even a late round pick or an UDFA ends up coming on and becoming this superstar quality player who impacts the games in so many ways from the psychology perspective, not just as a player, but like he was this like generational player in terms of how he came up and, and, and I wonder if Sean McDermott just doesn't like fall into this trap of looking for those scrappy guys because it worked this one time. Yeah, it, that might be the case. And listen, last year, I kind of understood the, the why the Bills hesitated to get Elam onto the field. You had Trey White coming off of a an injury where he wasn't ready to go at the start of the season. So you, you had Dane Jackson slotted into one spot, Mr. Reliable. You knew you were going to get. So the other spot, though, you wanted to get someone that at least had some background in your zone defense and your scheme. And yes, it was a rookie in Christian Benford who got a lot of live reps there. But because he had so much practice there, uh, he was he probably picked up the defense that much faster than Elam did. And Elam had some struggles that he's alluded to, the coaching staff's alluded to in terms of uh, transitioning over to this defense. But now in year two, 
Elam needs to get out there on the field over Christian Benford, over Dane Jackson, uh, because Trey White, you know, this is a year and a half later after he's been back. He came back on Thanksgiving one year ago. You're expecting him to return to form. You have the safeties back there. You have all the pieces minus Tremaine Edmonds in front of him. Uh, so, you know, you're bringing back pretty much the bands back together, so to speak. Now is the perfect time to get Kyrie Lam out there to get those live reps, to let him use his athleticism, to let him learn from his mistakes. And if the Bills don't do that at the start of the season, I think they're making a big mistake. Yeah, and we got a comment over here on YouTube. Tony's arc, uh, if it wasn't for how the Bills handled him during the offseason, I feel like most of us would think of him differently. I don't think he was bad at all during the actual season, to be honest. I agree. And maybe there wasn't like, maybe he didn't have this excellent rookie season with all these interceptions and just knowing the scheme and doing all the things that the coaches wanted him to do. I get all of that. Like there's a learning curve for a guy that's being asked to play a completely different style of football. But if you're talking about a competitive perspective, like the bills just put out a video. Uh, I, I watched it this morning. Uh, I got a thing on my YouTube. So I checked it out. It was of Terrence gray, um, on the scouting trail, like looking at, at players at pro days and then at the combine. And it had a clip in there of like Brandon Bean. And I think it was Brian Gain and gray watching Dorian Williams run the 40 ran the five, four, five, four. They were all just super excited about the speed element. And like rewind one year, that's exactly what got them juiced about Kyrie Elam. I think sometimes the scheme is important, but also Ryan, I'd, I'd push back and say the scheme hasn't mattered the last couple of years when it's mattered the most and your scheme has let you down. Maybe you should push more towards those traits and those ability to recover from mistakes that I think the speed of Elam gives you and let him try to get into some level of comfort. And maybe they will, and I'll, I'll reserve judgment for that, but I'm very interested to see how this thing plays out because as I'm looking at it right now, and this is the, the last point on this, and I'll, I'll hand it over to you to, to respond. If I was projecting based on just what my read is on the situation and, you know, hearing from people talk about him the last couple of weeks, Elam, that is, I got it like Jackson and Benford is one, a one B in terms of the battle and maybe a one C in Elam, but definitively behind both of those guys going into summer. That's crazy. I can't believe I'm saying that. Yeah. So the, the scheme itself has worked out in terms of the regular season stats where the bills have been. Uh, they, they've been a top three, top five defense in a lot of spots, but you can't play it safe. It's these, some of these key positions to your point, you need to let these guys with the pedigree, these guys that have the traits, as you mentioned, get out there to be those game changers for you, because it as good of a, as a scheme can be for you. You need those difference makers. It's why they went out and they signed a Von Miller last year. You know, the scheme can be sound up front. You, you can do certain things well, but there are still going to be holes in your play from a pass rush perspective. So insert Von Miller. The scheme was fine in terms of overall statistics for this defense the past few seasons, but they were getting beat up in the run game at times. Enter Daquan Jones, enter Puna Ford this year. You know, you bring these guys in to be problem solvers. They need a problem solver opposite Trey White at corner. I think that can be Kyrie Elam but they need to let him grow into that job on the job out there week in, week out, getting the majority of the reps. 
Uh, Ryan's going to get the majority of the reps with beer in hand and wing in other hand on Friday night at wing nut 700 military road. If you're just joining us now, thank you for hanging out with us late on a Wednesday afternoon. Both of us had commitments later tonight. So we want to get in this Wednesday staple show. We're talking about, you know, some of the position battles that are looming and there's not a ton, right? Like if you look at like the, the starter spots, right? Depending on how you want to like figure out that third wide receiver deal, and we'll talk about that in a little while. To me, it's CB2 and then it's middle linebacker mm. because there's a couple of options. And you know, one that's maybe talked about the least is maybe the young guy's not doing enough to win it, and them just handing it over to AJ Klein, who's done it in the past for Sean McDermott. I don't think I'm projecting him to be the odds on favorite here. If anything, you know, I probably lean after a really strong spring to Terrell Bernard. Um, but I'm not counting out Dorian Williams. Like, where do you kind of stand here as we pr- start to project what this thing looks like at middle linebacker? Yeah, it, it, it's unpredictable right now. And that's going to be the beauty of training camp. And, I, you know, I recently did a spot with WGR and that was one of the main talking points is if you were put on the spot right now, who do you think is going to be the week one starter out there? And I didn't go the AJ Klein route, uh, which I think that's a very safe option. I, but I went with a semi safe option with Tyrell Dodson. I said, here's someone that knows the system, someone that still has some of those athletic traits. Uh, when he's been out there on the field, when, when Edmonds has missed a game or you know they, they needed him out there in a pinch, he, he's looked the part. Now, he's had his own history with injuries and, and things like that where it's kept him off the field at times. But I feel like he might be one of those safer options right up there with A.J. Klein and but I also said, I think at some point this season, week four, week six range, they're going to hand it off to one of those young guys, whether it's Dorian Williams, who they like the traits, or whether it be a Terrell Bernard, who's been very impressive this spring. And if he can carry that over into the summer, might end up being the, the best man for the job there. He's bulked up. He knows the defense. He has a, a year's worth of knowledge of an uh, you know advantage, so to speak. Uh, in that regard over a Dorian Williams. But I think one of those two young guys will eventually get the job. But starting out, I, I could see this being another case of Sean McDermott saying, let's play it safe. Let's go with someone that knows my scheme that I, that I know is going to not, uh, you know, he's going to be able to re- relay plays to the other guys on the defense. He's going to know everyone's lined up where they need to be. It's the little things that I think go a long way early on in the season and for that reason, I, I have Dodson right now, perhaps starting opposite Milano at linebacker. Yeah, I think that's probably the safest bet. And I think it's – I'm very interested to see how Dod, Dodson in that role, if he were to win it, how he handles the load of playing as much as he's going to be playing, which is a big flip. I mean, he's he's been primarily a special teamer's. For the over the course of his career, you know, I'd be interested to talk to him as we get to training camp about what he did to maybe get his body ready for what's going to now be this grind. Because you can win that job and then get into the early part of the season, get banged up. He he went in against Miami. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. I think it might have been the year before. Played a, had a start. In that start, he got injured because you know he's not used to playing these kinds of snaps after you know playing at Texas A and M, uh, being a UDFA. Between Bernard and Williams, to me, it's just going to be about how quickly Williams can get up to speed. And I think Bernard, the way that Bobby um, Babbage talks about Bernard and his willingness to do whatever they ask him to do, Sean McDermott kind of throwing along some uh, praise for him as well over the course of the last couple of weeks, I think that positions him nicely. And I think 
even if you're excited about Williams' speed ability to get him on the field, I think there's ways to get him on the field, as we've seen in Sean McDermott's defense in years past, where he doesn't have to be the middle linebacker. You can put him in some type of Sam role as a as a blitzing linebacker, like having multiple looks, really go maybe even big nickel at points. If you like his speed and his ability to move all, all across the place, maybe sub in Dorian Williams for a Saran Neal if he is somebody that shows he can you know show up in coverage. But I really like Terrell Bernard's mindset. I, I mentioned that I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, still working on that story. It's been a couple of days off here uh, after the slog of uh, draft and then into the minicamp season. That'll be out shortly. But I just I feel like he gives you such a, a steady presence knowing how bad it went last year in the one opportunity that he got and everything he took from that and learned I think he's going to give Dotson a lot of competition. And I think that there is a ceiling with Dotson that might not be there with Terrell Bernard. Go back and listen to the way that Sean McDermott talked about this kid when they drafted him, the conversations he had with his coach down at Baylor, you know, what they liked about him to maybe reach on him. I wonder at times if this wasn't a guy that Sean McDermott was pounding the table for, if this isn't something that maybe he kind of pushes, if it's super close at the end of training camp and and preseason. Yeah, if all things are close, by all means, go with the young guy. Let him get those reps. And, and this was a player that was here pre-Sean McDermott by a year. But, you know, sometimes those special teams to defensive switches work. Uh, Lorenzo Alexander, for instance, he comes in. He was a special teams guy for a lot of his career, was a pro bowler in that regard. Comes to Buffalo. First season, he just lights up the, the defensive stat sheet leads the team in sacks, and he was like a, a very solid linebacker for him, uh, for Sean uh, McDermott when he came in in 2017 for a few years. So every now and then you do get players like that. Tyrell Dodson, I'm not saying he's going to you know, be a 12-sack guy for this team. That'd be crazy. Uh, but every now and then you do get those players that can transition from special teams to being a solid defensive contributor. You know, Terrell Bernard, you mentioned it. The, the team fell in love with him last year in the in the draft process. They held a private workout with him, and they said how quickly he picked up things, and he understood the responsibilities and the way he moved uh, on the field and the way, you know, the way he was able to absorb everything. We didn't see that during his rookie season. You mentioned it. Kind of looked like the, a deer in the headlights when he was out there on the field at times when he was given those opportunities. Now, though, you mentioned numerous times in our podcast how impressive he looked during the spring. You wrote about him. There's something about that year one to year two leap where you get a checklist from your your head coach, your defensive coordinators, uh, even maybe the front office in terms of here's what we need from you this offseason. And that can be your main focus. I know the system. I need to bulk up. I need to work on these aspects of my game. And Lo and behold, he comes in this spring and, and he looks the part. He looks like a third round pick, a day two pick in the draft that maybe is going to come in and make an impact this year. Dorian Williams could do that for this team year one, right out of the gate. But it's not just knowing where you're supposed to be. It's also the responsibility of the linebacker, the middle linebacker, in terms of getting the plays in, making sure your, your guys are lined up in the right spot. So I want to see him be able to, to absorb all of that this summer too when he's given opportunities because that's going to go a long way at training camp in these preseason games to determining who wins that job. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. What's up, everybody? Matt Perino here. 
one half of the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast, here today to talk to you about Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 5 million members. It is the most fun and exciting way to get in on the action while you watch your favorite sports and players. You just pick more or less on two or more player stats for a shot to win up to 100 times your cash. Testing your skills on prize picks this playoff basketball season is the most simple way to get in on the action. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and submit your lineup. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what makes prize picks the number one fantasy sports app. Download the app today and use code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, Download the app today and use code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. You know, it, it's funny. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking back on the Elam conversation a little bit, and it kind of leads me into an interesting transition for my final position battle. We have two different ones that we're going to talk about here really quick. Spencer Brown is such an interesting comparison to Kyrie Elam, isn't he? If you sit back and think about it, guy is a third round draft pick, obviously traits off the charts. Like, I mean, the Raz score, yeah. you know, his potential flashes that he's shown his first two years. What do the Bills do this offseason, Ryan? They don't bring in any competition for Spencer Brown. He is at this point locked in at right tackle. I know that Brandon Shell's there. I know that David Questenberry is back. I know that Tommy Doyle, I guess, is in the mix as well. This is Spencer Brown's job, man. Like, I, I don't see a scenario where he doesn't win it. And why, it's why it's not my third position battle. My third position battle is actually right guard. But before we get to it, like, this team you know, throws curveballs at you with the way that they treat different situations. It's like Spencer Brown, come hell or high water, no matter what the situation, they are riding with him. They are giving him the opportunities. It's the complete opposite for Kyir Elam. And it's, it's an interesting juxtaposition. And I know it's, you know, they, they play on different side of the ball. They play different positions. But I, I think Kyrie Elam would benefit from the same approach they're taking with Brown. And yeah, I think absolutely. he's earned more. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And listen, when it comes to Spencer Brown, this could be something where if he flops, they could turn it over to a, a Brandon Shell at some point. But I agree. They brought Shell in so late during uh, the offseason that I, I think they view him as a swing tackle. Uh, someone that if he has to start, they, they're comfortable with that, uh, especially on the right-hand side. But it, it's interesting because all offseason, we heard, especially from Brandon Bean, he went to bat numerous times for Spencer Brown. Hey, this is a guy that didn't get to play his senior season. Um, his team, you know, he could have transferred elsewhere, but he wanted to, you know, remain part of that team. He did training all, all that offseason. Last year, he dealt with this back injury. He missed all of the, the spring and, the, and a lot of the summer, and we had to kind of get him up to speed. These were things that Brandon Bean was saying. And at one point before the draft and before free agency, you're sitting there saying, okay, is this him trying to get other teams off the scent of the Bills might be interested in, in upgrading at right tackle during free agency if the right guy comes along or during the draft early on? They had opportunities in both areas, and they did not address it. So everything that Brandon Bean was saying about Spencer Brown, he truly believes in my eyes at this point. And, you know, now it's up to Spencer Brown to come out there and prove him right, prove that I'm healthy, prove that I'm going to take a big leap in play 
from year two to year three, he had moments as a rookie. I didn't feel he had as many moments last year. I need to see that this year with a lot more consistency because, you know, protecting Josh Allen has to be your number one key overall for this team to be able to get to the Super Bowl this year, uh, to win the Super Bowl this year. And going into training camp, if I'm asked who the weak link is on that line, it's Spencer Brown. Yeah, I'm looking. Uh, I saw a comment in here that Brandon Shell is better than Spencer Brown. Um, I mean, I think it's you're really picking at the bottom of the barrel based on you know the, the, both these guys and, and what they put on tape in the NFL. You know, I just quickly looked up their their PFF grades, and actually, they're from a pass blocking perspective. Um, Brandon Shell uh, was bit, uh, a bit better, um, or overall perspective, Brandon Shell was a little bit better. Pass blocking, Ryan, they were both graded out. Um, both of them had more than 760 snaps. Uh, Brown had 982. 51.7 grade for Brandon Shell, 51.6 grade for Spencer Brown. So they're yeah. equally bad. 109 and 110 ranked tackles in professional football last year. Shell gave up 40 pressures. Spencer Brown gave up fifth worst 50 pressures, according to PFF, last season. It was not good a second year for Spencer Brown. And I think that they know that, but I think that there's also because of the upside, I really like the approach they're taking with him, like not going out and bringing in significant competition, potentially muddies the water. That competition has to come in and outslot the guy and be the guy and be the answer there. Otherwise you're in this like murky, muddy water that I don't think you want to be in, which I think you're in at CB2. Yeah. Upside and age matter. Uh, at this position and shells over 30 shell can come in. Like I said, in a pinch, if there's an injury, you're going to feel comfortable with him, but you don't want to defer the job to him. Considering things are pretty equal in terms of their pass block rating. Uh, and that's the most important area, in my opinion, when it comes to this team and, and this is a pass first team. I think they'll run the ball a little bit more this year. They invested in, the running game, they invested in the O-line, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But you're still going to be throwing it a lot with Josh Allen. And with all things considered equal between Shell and Brown based on their play last year, you go with the young guy. You let him go out there and try to to prove that he is the, the man for the job. And that starts, obviously, here at St. John Fisher College uh, in the very near future. Somebody said here that um, Kyrie Elam was, can't play in this scheme. And I think it's so interesting that people go to that like bl- black and white view of these kinds of things in football. Like Tredavious White was primarily a press man corner at LSU. L- listen to this from his scouting report. Uh, full-time starter, one of the premier mirror and match cornerbacks in the game, has the feet, athleticism, and instincts for prolonged coverage responsibilities, and his twitch will always have him near the throw. Best suited for all forms of man coverage. Tredavious White, who's been one of the elite premier off corners in the NFL since getting drafted by the Bills. It's not a plug and play league. You have to learn. You have to fail. Like now Tredavious White came in and he picked it up pretty quickly. He was pretty good from the beginning in 17. He didn't have the kind of struggles with it that I think Elam has shown. Not everybody's going to get it right away. Sometimes you need time on task. And Sean McDermott has mentioned it a million times. It's all about repetitions at a spot. And I get getting the practice reps, but some people need the live reps too. 
Yeah. And the Bills wouldn't go out and draft a guy if they felt like they couldn't get him to fit into said scheme. That would be a waste of a first round pick. You you don't want to go out there and only address players that fit your scheme. In certain years, yes, there are first round pedigree players that are a better fit for you. And if all things are considered equal in terms of their upside, uh, but one is more zone heavy than man heavy in your zone team, yeah, you're probably going to go that route. And I still believe McDuffie might have been their target, and then the Chiefs leapfrogged them and took him. Uh, there's been articles that have speculated that as well. So we don't know, and we won't know. But they liked Elam enough to trade up for him after that took place and to bring him in. And they felt that the athleticism was there, the traits were there. You just gave a great example with Trey White in terms of not all of these guys that they've drafted have been perfect scheme fits for this team, and yet they can adapt they can learn it, and then they can excel in that area. So I still have high hopes for Kyrie Elam in terms of fitting into this defense. They need to let him use his traits to get better and give him those live reps, and that's what I'm hoping we see this year. We're going to get a lot of live reps on Friday night, Ryan Talbot. Out at Wingnuts, 700 Military Road. If you're just stopping in, thank you. Welcome. Uh, make sure you get us on your calendar. Somebody asked earlier in the show, what time should you come out? Well, what time are you going to get there, Ryan? Because I'm going to be a little late uh, this time. I'm co- that's why we moved the time back to 8. I'm hoping to get there by like 7.30. What time are you, th- you planning to be there? Yeah, I'm hoping to be there 7, 7.30. Um, okay. I, I, play, I think we're going to come up kind of early on Friday, make a, make an afternoon, uh, an evening out of it. So I'm hoping to be there around 7, 7.30, make my way around early to anyone that gets there pre-show. We get a lot of people that get in there right around at the start of our show. And then after, though, like you said, we go around. Um, obviously, we're, we're take you know the show takes place in Buffalo, so sometimes you get someone in a Bills hat, Bills shirt that comes in. You assume they're there for us, but like Matt said, come up, talk to us, introduce yourselves. We love to interact with you. Uh, you know, before the show, after the show, and like you said, we might be there and close the place down on Friday night. Definitely, we'll close the place down. I'll, I'll be there at the latest by seven forty-five. Um, our intern Peter is actually coming up for the show. So he will be there getting everything set up, set up, say hi to him, uh, come over and talk some bills with him. But I'd say come out anytime, anytime after 637, get yourself set up, get yourself some wings, try out all the different flavors, get a beer. It's going to be a great job or a great time. Final topic here, our last position battle that we're looking at. We're going to go in different directions. We'll do it like rapid fire style. I'll talk about mine, you hit yours, and then we'll hit the road. Right guard. I think left guard is going to materialize as Connor McGovern's spot. They paid him, right? He was a he was an early in free agency kind of guy. He plays left left guard. I think he's going to be comfortable there. He did it last year uh, in Dallas, and I think he's going to end up slotting over there. So over at right guard, it's 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 interesting to me because I think Ryan Bates probably ha- is the odds-on favorite to win that job. But man, I just cannot get off of David Edwards' familiarity with with Cromer. And I know how much he likes one guy in his system that can kind of show the others the ropes when it comes to how he wants techniques taught. Um, this is a guy that came into the league and went through what a lot of these guys are going through. Like he's been, I think, three years, two or three years with Cromer in uh, L.A. Credits him for a lot of his development. And I think he's right in the mix. I also think Ike Butker, I am not ruling him out. He had he, he basically last year was an uh, a completely lost season, had the um, Achilles tendon uh, injury that cost him most of last year, and when he got back, it was it's kind of a slow grind back. He's looked great all, all spring. 
I expect him to get back into that uh, situation, get competitive. That's what he's done since the Bills signed him as a UDFA all those years ago out of Iowa. So I'm really looking forward to that right guard competition because I think it's an important spot and it'll tell us a lot about how they want to utilize Ryan Bates. I mean, elbow in, elbow surgery, ankle surgery for Mitch Morris coming into, I believe it's his ninth or 10th NFL season. He's not getting any younger. And I think if you go a different direction than, ba- than Bates at right guard, you could have um, Rick Bates uh, there in case something goes down with Mitch Morris. And just really quickly touching upon that before I go into mine, you still have Torrance as well, a second round pick that you have in the guard mix, overall guard mix. It's a good problem to have to have so much competition. I've mentioned this before. I almost wonder if Ryan Bates' versatility is going to be a a nail in his coffin, so to speak, because you just mentioned Mitch Morse. I think there are four spots on this line, minus left tackle, uh, that you could sit there and say, man, I'd feel good about Ryan Bates if he had to come in in a pinch and play left guard, center, right guard, even right tackle. He's such a good player across the board that the Bills might sit there and say, at the end of the day, with injuries taking place, maybe this guy should be on the bench for us because we can get him in there in these different spots if something happened to Mitch Morris, if something happened uh, with McGovern, maybe whether it's play, whether it's injury, et cetera. So it's going to be one of the more interesting battles to watch, not just right guard overall in my eyes, guard spots in general. So many good players. And again, great problem to have if you're the Bills. Go ahead. Let me get one more thing on this, and then we'll move on to, to yours. I didn't mention Torrance, maybe subconsciously thinking of Kyrie Elam and like maybe like, you know, them talking so much about him needing to work on his technique, like getting a chance to talk to Mitch Morse about him last week. He mentioned how much work he's doing and he's a sponge, but there is work to be done with the way that they asked their 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 guards, their tackles to play football. It might be a little bit too large of a learning curve for Torrance to be ready to win that job right out of uh, training camp. And they don't have time to wait for a rookie at that spot. I mean, they got, they need their most dependable players at those five spots. I think it's almost different than cornerback in the sense that you need guys that you can rely upon because of what it means for the most important guy on the field for the bills. That's Josh Allen. But I do think that if Torrance does find his way on the other end of that learning curve. Yeah. I, I think it could get real interesting there. I'd be interested to see if after he played so much left guard in college, if they try him at right guard, just because, Maybe they like McGovern at left. Maybe they move McGovern over to right. I don't know how that ends up ultimately working out, and I can't tell you where they all played over the last couple of weeks. But um, I, I agree with your point. I think that it's going to be very interesting to watch how those you know uh, positions are set up throughout training camp. Yeah, and and lastly on Torrance, I don't know if the Bills would do it. I don't know if it'd be smart uh, when you're in those third and inches, fourth and inches scenarios where you almost feel like it's going to be Josh Allen time. Would you put him in there because he is a mauler? He's supposed to be stronger in the run game. Yes, it might lead to more predictable calls or defenses thinking you know what they're going to do, but then the, even the Bills could feed off of that. Something to get him some of those live reps that we're saying Kyrie Elam needs. It's going to be so interesting to watch and see how they handle him this year. For me, for my other position battle, it's a little more generic. I want to know who steps up at receiver other than Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis. And this is not a Dalton Kincaid, Dawson Knox conversation. I expect them to be heavily involved in this offense. I want to know who steps up, though, in that wide receiver three role. Is it going to be a Deontay Hardy who, in terms of the salaries that they gave out this year at wide receiver, he was the one that was paid. He was the one that is that yard after catch uh, player that I feel like they've lacked on this team the, the past few seasons. But he's a smaller receiver. 
Is he someone, the durability? He missed a lot of time last year with a foot injury. So you have him as one option. You have Trent Sherfield, who Josh Allen really spoke up uh, over the spring, talked about getting some reps with him, really liking his game. Those are two guys that pop into my mind immediately. Khalil Shakir, year two, someone that a year ago was, was a fan favorite in terms of where he was drafted, where a lot of draft analysts said that they thought he could go. Um, I've talked about players making that leap from year one to year two, knowing what areas of the game they need to work on. Tons of videos this offseason of Shakir working out with Eric Moulds, former Bills great. That does not mean that he's going to all of a sudden be this great receiver. Don't get me wrong in the NFL. But I like to see the work that he was doing. I like to see when players are, are training alongside these former guys that were great. Eric Moulds on, in a different team with a different quarterback. I think he's a Hall of Fame player. I just think that he didn't play with a lot of very good quarterbacks in his tenure in Buffalo, and, and that hurt him at times. So uh, I like the work of those guys. And there's others too, Matt. So for me, it comes down to who's going to step up uh, other than the guys that you know, Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis. Friday night. The plan is to talk a little bit more Stefan Diggs, and we're going to morph that into a Sean McDermott conversation and sprinkle in a little bit of Brandon Bean as well. Um, I have some thoughts on a lot of that that I want to get into. I believe Nate Geary is coming out, so uh, you know he'll have takes on takes on takes. Uh, we're going to uh, have a 53-man roster projection yes. up at the website here coming up pretty soon. Um, so we'll start to dive into that a little bit, and maybe we'll each, if the three of us are there, Maybe we'll do one player that we're pounding the table for to make this 53-man roster, uh, and we'll talk that through on Friday night. It's going to be fun. I'm hoping a ton of people are out. I hope we maybe even get out on the patio. If you have strong takes and you get out there early enough and you want to little come on for a little segment of the show, I'm always open to it. 700 Military Road, shout at Wingnuts. Um, if you are coming out and you do want to uh, appear on the show, uh, I know our good buddy Michael Partham was always first in line. Uh, for those kinds of segments, hit me up beforehand so I can start like planning this thing out where the segments are going to be. And we're going to have a lot of fun on Friday night, Ryan. Yeah, you cannot beat the atmosphere at Wing Nuts. Uh, great times, great food, great beer. You can't go wrong with their wings either. I mean, it's right in the name, but you there's some other options, some chicken sandwiches, uh, the pizzas now, you name it. They're, they're getting pretty deep in terms of their uh, depth chart when it comes to the food options at Wing Nuts. Join us there Friday night, 8 p.m. We'll see you then, everybody. He's Ryan. I'm Matt. Have a great Wednesday. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.